0: Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to Him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to Him. Give me a church with noisy kids over an empty pew filled with silence. Give me a church with noisy kids over an empty pew filled with silence. I saw that meme, that picture on Facebook this week, it was going around, and I liked it. You know, Facebook gives you the option, you can like things, you can love things, you can make an angry face or a sad face, and I liked it, because I do like that. I do like it. But I have to say something, I used to love this. About the year 2015, 2016, is when I started to rethink the way I had kind of seen churches handle children. I started to rethink whether our children belonged with us in the service, because that was something that was fairly rare to me. My church growing up had them there for everything except for they would leave for the sermon. The church that I worked at, the children were gone the entire time. And I started to rethink this and I disagreed with this and I used to see stuff like this pop up on Facebook and I would love it. But I've recently had just an ever so slight change of heart about the way that this principle is being communicated here. I used to love it. I no longer love it. I like it. So what changed? Well, what changed was I recently read a book that was recommended to me, Parenting in the Pew by Robbie Castleman. And that book totally altered and changed the way I thought of this issue. And so when I hear this phrase, give me a church with noisy kids over an empty pew filled with silence, I, I like it because I understand the gist of it, but as is so often in social media when we try to take profound truths and, and put them in sound bites, they can be really misleading. Because I hear this and I have to ask the question, are these my only two options? Are my only two options are noisy kids or silence? Or is maybe there a third way? Maybe there's something else that we can strive toward. I like it, but I don't love it. Because that book helped me see, biblically, I, I think there's a third way. The growth of our church in the last three years, even before I got here, has been phenomenal. It has been so exciting to see our children. Just last week, we had a potluck, and I cannot tell you how many people I heard look over and see all of our kids playing together and make a comment about how beautiful that is. And they're right. It's just incredible what God is doing in our church, and I pray He continues to do that. I pray we continue to have children and babies and families worshiping in this church. But after reading Parenting in the Pew, I realized... How poorly I have led on this issue. I realized just how inadequate I have messaged, signaled, communicated why we have children in this church. And then when you answer that question, it leads to, well, how should we treat them? How should they behave? What are our expectations for them? I realized that my philosophy of ministry as it pertains to our kids has largely been reactionary And not exegetical. My philosophy of ministry as it pertains to our children. Has largely been reactionary. And not exegetical. What do I mean by that? Well here's what I mean by that. I am so tired. And you've probably sensed this. I bring this up in the pulpit a lot. (laughs) I am so tired. Of what I am seeing in the evangelical world in our day and age. I am just sick and tired and jaded of the gross direction that the vast majority of our churches in this country are headed in, in, in all sorts of directions, on all sorts of issues. And I'm so sickened by what I'm seeing in our Christian culture that I tend to do the exact opposite of whatever those churches I don't like are doing. As the modern church movement started, and I'm sickened by a a variety of things within the modern evangelical church, one of the things I started noticing was this movement to kick kids out of church, to send kids off to classes, to send them off elsewhere, and it angered me because I just don't like what these churches are doing. So I wanted to bring kids into our church, into my churches even before I came here, just to be different, just to stick it to the culture. I, I, I one time saw a thing on Facebook of a person who visited a really large church and they brought their kids with them and they received a card before they entered the service that said, thanks for being here, but children are not welcome here. Please escort them to their proper age-appropriate classrooms or you're not free to worship with us. They, the deacons were handing out these little cards saying your kids are not welcome here. And it, I mean, I just boiled with rage. I got so angered by that. And so I just started pushing kids in church, kids in church, kids in church. Why? Because I hate those churches and they kick them out. That's why. I was reacting. And on top of that, I was reacting in a positive way to the examples being set by me from churches that I do admire. We live in a technological world, so I have access to a lot of pastors, to a lot of churches. I know what is, generally speaking, happening in a lot of Reformed world and in the non-Reformed world. And the messaging in the Reformed world is in the Reformed church, we worship with our families. We bring our kids in church. So I was reacting to the guys that I did like, and I want to do what they do because I like them. And I was also reacting to the guys that I didn't like. I don't like them, so let's just make sure we're doing whatever they're not doing. And so what that led to was mixed signaling, or not mixed signaling, incomplete signaling. What that led to is I saw they have kids in church, they don't, so what are we going to do? Let's bring our kids in church. End of discussion. But you see, we have only just begun. This is not an ending point, it's a starting point. As I read this book, and I saw that my philosophy was reactionary, the Lord convicted me and I realized that merely doing what other churches do that you like, or merely not doing what the churches are doing that you don't like, is a bad reason to do anything at all. That's a bad reason to do anything at all in church. What are they doing? Let's do the opposite. That's bad thinking. What are they doing? I like them. Let's do it. Bad thinking. Our philosophy of what we do with our children needs to be exegetical. It needs to based what are we seeing from Scripture? I don't care if the megachurch down the street is or isn't doing it. What are we doing? What does God call us to do? And that's what I realized. That was the question I was not asking. I was merely saying the big churches do this. Let's not. We don't want to be like them. That's poor leadership. And here's the consequences that it's led to in this church. It's led to me not giving you the adequate vision for why we have our children in here. We don't know why. We just know we encourage you to do it. But you don't know why. And then what's the problem with that? If you don't know why, you can't set reasonable expectations for your kids. Because all I've been told is they're supposed to be here. They're here. Check. In other words, here's where my leadership on this issue has gone wrong. I have taught us that bringing our kids into church with us is an end in and of itself. When it actually needs to be a means to an end. I have been teaching us, not explicitly or on purpose, but implicitly, that having our children with us in church is an end. It's an end goal when it's not. It's a means to a greater end goal. There's something else that we're trying to accomplish and bringing our kids into church with us is how we accomplish that. That's, if, if I had to summarize what I got from the book, how I was convicted by the book, that's what I got. Having children in church is not an end it's a means to an end. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to talk about this question. And let me just warn you a couple things. I've been preaching very long sermons these last few weeks. Some of that is because I have poor discipline. Some of that is because the Old Testament texts we read are very long. And I've been, I really want to cut down on that, but I'm just going to warn you, it's not going to happen today. <laughs> so get comfortable. Another thing I want to warn you before we probe this question is today is not the day to feel guilty. Guilty. I am not trying to beat up on anyone today. I am not trying to embarrass or shame anyone today. With one exception, me. Me. Because what I am trying to communicate to us is that I have never even attempted to think through this issue or educate. So I am not holding anyone accountable for not following through principles that were never given, expectations that were never given. That was unfair. So I know sometimes when I preach, I can be really loud and domineering and I shake my hands and I point my fingers and stuff. But this is not a sermon of rebuke. This is not a reason to feel guilty or ashamed today. This is purely educational, but I just tend to preach educational things as if I'm yelling at people. So let me warn you about that. No, this is not a day to feel guilty. This is a day for education. I want us to explore two things today. Why do we encourage our families to worship together? Why do we want our children in worship? And then I think if we can begin to figure that question out, that will then help us to determine, okay, so what do I do with them while they're here? What are their expectations? What are my expectations? So it's kind of a two-part question, if you will. Why do we do it and how do we do it? And certainly this is something we're going to discuss for the rest of our lives as a church, quite honestly. This is the beginning of something, not the end of something. If I had to describe the thesis of that book, Parenting in the Pew, which, by the way, we put out front, it's free, please take a copy, especially if you have kids, we definitely encourage you to take a copy. If I had to summarize the thesis of that book, I would summarize it this way. Children need to learn how to worship. The thesis of that book, so if you wanted a thesis, it's a topical sermon today. If you want a thesis for the sermon today, that's it. Our children need to learn how to worship. Our job is to teach our children how to worship the Lord. Castleman puts it this way children learn to worship by worshiping, through participation. Practice and patience, participation in every syllable of the service is of major importance in training children to worship. Our children need to be led, taught, and shown examples of how to worship our great God and Savior. Children learn a lot of good things about the Bible in the classrooms that churches send them off into. They have curriculum. It's a setting with curriculum that's tailored to their understanding. But what are they missing when we send them off to classes? They are maybe learning a Bible story. They're maybe learning a Bible morality. They're maybe learning something about the Bible. But they are not learning how to worship God. And the end goal of what we are doing here is trying to train our children to worship in a corporate setting. That is something they cannot learn in the classroom. They can learn Bible stories, but they cannot see worship. They cannot model worship. They cannot be disciplined and led into worship. They don't learn how to worship in the classroom. And so if our goal with our children is merely to fill their heads with Bible information, then yeah, get them out of here. We can do that at a much better setting than my 55-minute sermons where I talk about things like compatibilism and I talk about God's sovereignty and predestination. We can tailor it to them and they can go off and they can learn about the Bible if that's the end goal. But the end goal is not stopping at learning about the Bible. The end goal is teaching them how to worship. They need to learn how to worship God. And so this requires from all of us a responsibility that we have to be reminded of what worship is. We have to be reminded about how we worship God. Because you want to know what the problem is? That mindset that we've done, we've treated children, the only reason you go to church on Sunday is to learn a lesson. So go in the classroom and learn your lesson. The reason we teach that is because that's what we think of church. We think I'm going to go to church and learn and hear a sermon. For us, the sermon is church, and we just so happen to you know, sing some songs because people like that. It helps get them in the mood for the sermon. And maybe once a month, maybe once a quarter, we'll, we'll throw the Lord's Supper in. But let's just come, let's, let's share our announcements, let's sing some songs, and then let's learn about the Bible. We view the whole point that we go to church is to learn about the Bible. We think that, and then we pass it on to our kids. You need to learn about the Bible today, and the pastor's too long. He's too long-winded and uses big words, so let's go to your class and learn about the Bible there. And so what I want us to think of is we need to teach ourselves as the adults, as the leaders, that we don't come to Sunday morning service to hear a sermon. You do, but you come here for so much more than that. God forbid you think that I'm the reason you show up on Sunday. What are you guys doing on Sunday morning? We really need to go here, call, and talk. That's really important to us. No, God forbid. We need to train ourselves to love and adore and see the value and importance of every aspect of our worship and how we respond to it. By the way, this problem, because of pastors like me who have not done a good job educating and teaching... This is why we have the problem of online church. People think COVID created online church. COVID exacerbated the problem. COVID muddied the waters on the problem. But I was debating people about whether it was appropriate to stay home and watch a live stream long before COVID. I've been doing that ever since I got into the ministry. I did college ministry for five years. Do you know how common it is? For college students to go off to college and think, you know what, What, what's the purpose of Sunday? It's to learn about the Bible. And you know what, the church is really far away. I don't have a car. And and the pastor is kind of boring here. I can watch John Piper. I can listen to John MacArthur. Why would I try to go to this church way across the end of town that I don't have a car for when I can listen to a better message right from my dorm room? You know what they think? They think you go to church to hear a sermon and you can hear a sermon at home. So why go to church? It's a good question. It's good logic. The problem is you don't go to church to hear a sermon. Not exclusively at least. If we want to create children that go off into the world, that leave the home and think, I'll just do church in my pajamas with a cup of coffee in my living room, then we'll send them off into classrooms and we'll continue to message to them that the reason you go to church is to listen to a pastor talk. But if we, in our own hearts, decide what worship is, if we, in our own hearts, believe there's more going on here than just a 35, 40-minute educational message, then we can communicate and train our children to see you need to be here. And you need to participate. You can't do this at home. You can't do this by yourself. We have to understand there's more going on on a Sunday morning than just... A message. We find value among the diversity of the people of God. This is why Paul talks about how every single person has an individual spiritual gift and your job is to bless one another with spiritual gifts. It's not just the elements of our worship that matter. It's coming together and being with each other that matters. You can't do that online. And our children need to experience that now. They need to experience the blessing of other Christians side by side with us. And by the way, this is an important reminder, that's why what we're doing every single week is setting the example for them. If the reason we have kids in service is to learn how to worship, to model worship, to practice worship, then we have to be the models. And so you see how this mentality benefits us. It helps us to be better worshipers because you need to come here with the mentality, I'm a teacher this week. I'm a teacher this week. I'm teaching every single child of my beloved fellow families in my church what it looks like, what it means to worship. And so I have to ask this question. What do I teach our children when I'm undisciplined and I let Sunday school go 15 minutes extra long and then we start service 15 minutes late? What does that communicate to our children about the sanctity of what's happening here and the value of your time? What do we communicate to our children when we're getting up and getting coffee and getting drinks so constantly throughout the sermon? What are we communicating to our ch- children when we stroll in late week after week? What do we communicate to our children when they see us sleeping through the sermon? Or when they see us standing but not singing along to the songs? What are we teaching our kids? You see, this is really why we need to not just have a change of mind, but Vocabulary. We have to change the way we talk about going to church. So you're ready? Here's one of my hot takes for the sermon. Like if, if you were our social media person, you would put this on a quote and put it online. This is one of my hot takes. You're here from your pastor here, okay? Definitively, from your pastor, you should never, ever, ever go to church on Sundays. Don't ever do it. I forbid you from ever going to church on Sundays ever again. Don't you do it. Sunday is not the day you go to church. Sunday is the day the church goes to worship. You don't go to church. Church goes to worship. We are not here for church, we're here for worship. That's why on our sign out front, it does not say church starts at 1030. Church is happening 24-7. Worship begins at 1030. Our church website doesn't say church starts at 1030. Worship begins. What are we doing here? Not church. I don't even know what that means, to do church. I hear that expression all the time. I don't know what that means. It's a noun. It's not a verb. We're not here to do church. We're here to worship the Lord. And we want our children to come and to worship the Lord with us. And we want them to participate in worshiping the Lord. Now, that's kind of a very long extended introduction. Let me tell you why I'm so embarrassed. Because there are many texts... I have turned to in my Bible to vindicate why our children need to be with us. But what I realized over the courses of these last couple weeks is how much more was in these texts that I was missing because I was focusing on this one single element. Let Let me give you some examples of that. We're going to turn to two primary texts today. Now, let me also say, I understand these are not the primary meaning of these passages. I'm not saying that. But they are legitimate implications and applications of these passages. Does that make sense? So I'm not preaching the meaning of the passage, but the meaning has implications, the meaning has applications, and those are the things that I want us to really focus on. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's what I used to focus so much on this text. I used to turn to this text to to demonstrate, to showcase, our children need to be in church with us. And here's why I say that. We have to remember what a New Testament epistle was. It was received as scripture. It was thought of as scripture. Modern academics, unbelieving scholars want you to think that Paul Paul and the other apostles just wrote a bunch of letters and then some council 500 years later made them scripture. But we have evidence from these epistles themselves that the people receiving them were receiving them with the same authority that they would read Moses. But what would happen in the Jewish synagogues is they had scriptures, they had texts from the prophets and they would store these up in the synagogue or in the temple and then they would read from them and explain them as they worshipped on the Sabbath. And that's how we knew what the Jewish people considered Scripture. It was the the scrolls that they held up in the temple and that they read aloud publicly to the congregation. And then that practice carried over into the New Testament. And as, as the churches would receive letters from the apostles, they would read them out loud to the congregation and they would preach them and they would teach them. So by reading them to the congregation, that's their way of saying, this is Scripture, thus saith the Lord. And we have places in Paul where he even, tells, he even tells people make in the Bible, make sure this is read in front of the congregation. We see Paul calling the Gospel of Mark scripture and comparing it to Moses' writings. We see Peter calling Paul's letters scripture. They were receiving this letter as the word of God and they would read it as the word of God. And so here's why all that's important. As Paul writes a letter expecting the whole church is going to hear this and receive it, he addresses the children directly. He does not say, parents, communicate to your children. He does not say, pastors, make sure the Sunday school teachers are teaching the children. He talks to them directly. Paul preaches a sermon and he singles out the kids. He says, kids, I want you to listen to me. I'm talking to you. So the implication of Ephesians chapter 6 is Paul expected the children of God to be with their parents in the Lord receiving the word of God. And so I would harp over and over again. You see, children need to be in church. They need to be with their families. They need to be here. But what would I miss in the process of that? The whole passage. (laughs) I would miss what the passage is actually saying to talk about what it's implying. Is it enough for Paul that our children are with us? No. That's just, that's just a tiny implication of the text. What's important with Paul? Not just that they're with us, but that they're obeying us. That's what this passage is about. It's about when children come into the church on Sunday morning, they're going to obey the commands of their parents. If their parents tell them to sing, they're going to sing. If their parents tell them to be quiet, they're going to be quiet. The purpose of this passage is not ultimately to teach your kids are with you. The purpose of this passage is to teach your kids need to obey you. And that it's kids focused. This is the only command, this is the first commandment with the promise. He's telling them, children, by the way, I'm not just trying to yell at you. This is gonna make your life way better. God is going to bless your life if you come into the people of God and obey your parents. God's going to bless you for that. He's talking to them directly and he's calling them to obey. So you see, it is not merely a victory to go around and talk about, hey, you know what, at my church, let me tell you something cool. Your church, you know, you send those kids off to classrooms, but at my church, they come in here. That's not enough for Paul. Paul would say, good for you. Now let me ask this, how are they behaving? That matters to Paul. How they're behaving in church is just as much important to Paul as that they're there. And I have been harping for so much that they're there, they're there, they're there, they're there there, that I've completely forgot to talk about. Are they obeying us? Do our children obey us? That's what this passage is about. And by the way, Paul is gracious enough to tell us how to fix the problem. If you have a problem, I'm not saying we do, I'm not saying we don't, I'm I'm preaching a sermon for the whole church here. If you have this problem, how do you handle it? What do we do? Well, verse 4 he does address fathers because they're the, primarily, they're the head of the families, the disciplinarians of families, but certainly this would apply to all parents, all guardians, anyone who has real authority over a child. He says in verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger. So one of the first ways that we are commanded to create obedient children is we do not provoke them to anger. What does that mean? That means that we as parents are not to have unreasonable expectations or abusive disciplinary methods. If we are unreasonable with our children's expectations, we create standards for them that they just can't meet, or if we lose our tempers and we go way too far in discipline and we abuse them and hurt them, Paul says that what's ultimately going to happen is they are going to be be provoked to get mad. You are going to provoke them to hate you. And then when they hate you, do you think they're going to obey you? They're not going to obey you if they don't like you, if they hate you. So Paul says, don't provoke them. Don't have unreasonable standards. Don't have abusive parenting methods. You need to love your children. You need to be patient and gracious and kind with your children. But he immediately balances that out. So we need to be nurturing and patient and loving and kind and understanding. But that is balanced out by what? but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So while we are kind and patient and nurturing and loving to our children, we have a second obligation to balance that with discipline and teaching. We need to teach them the commandments of Christ. And when they don't obey us, we need to discipline them. So this concept of not provoking children to anger does mean we should not go too far in our discipline, but it does not mean don't discipline at all. We are told directly to discipline them and to teach them. So if you are if you're a parent thinking, I want to know how do, I have, how do I help my children to be more obedient in church and how to learn how to worship without distracting themselves, you need this balance. Calvin puts it beautifully. He says, It is not the will of God... That parents, in the exercise of kindness, shall spare and corrupt their children. So you need this balance. You need to be a loving, nurturing, patient, gentle parent. But when your kids disobey you, spank them. Spank them. Discipline them. You might say, no, spanking is cruel, spanking is evil. Spanking provokes children to, worship, or to anger. It can. But in and of itself, it does not. This is made abundantly clear throughout the Proverbs. Chapter 13, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he's not going to die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from shale. What does it mean? What is Ephesians chapter 6 getting at? Nurture, gentle, loving, patience, discipline. We need to discipline our kids and be gracious and patient with them. At the same time, Paul says these things can be done. And by the way, here's what's key. This was meant to be instruction for Sunday morning. He didn't write this and say, now, now don't do this today, but tomorrow. Once the work week starts again, then you need to make sure that you don't provoke your children to anger, but you bring them up in the discipline instruction board. You don't discipline or instruct your children in church. That's not what church is for. You can start that tomorrow. This is supposed to be done in church. It was written to them for Sunday morning worship. So let me in, in, encourage you to put this into practice on Sunday. But let me also encourage you that people are right to see that this isn't only for Sunday. This is certainly a general principle that God goes just Monday through Saturday, but Sunday through Saturday. Here's why I say that. You might be saying, okay, pastor, you're saying really basic and obvious things here. Here's why I think not. Because there are two temptations that I think, and I I, I promise you, I'm not thinking of anyone specifically here. I'm not talking about our church specifically here. I'm saying general human nature. Because I've lived my whole life in church. I've seen it in myself, so I've seen it in others. There are two pitfalls that parents are tempted to fall into. One pitfall is to take Ephesians 6 4 and apply it only on Sundays. And another pitfall is to take Ephesians 6 4 and apply it never on Sundays. <laughs> And here's what that looks like. Obviously, we don't think about it like that in our heads. We don't think, I'm not going to believe Ephesians 6, 4 on Sundays. We don't think about it that way. But here's how I think it looks. There's a group of people who are prone to apply Ephesians 6, 4 only on Sundays. And here's what that means. That means Monday through Saturday, they have no discipline in the home. The children run the show. There's no standards. There's no discipline. There's no consistency. But then they come to church and they think, oh, now, now, my, now the Christians are watching me. Now I'm being judged. So, you know, we need to straighten this up. We need to get them in line here. So that's a person who's saying, I will practice discipline and instruction on Sundays, but not Monday through Saturday. And let me just tell you, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. You can't be a family that only disciplines on Sunday. That won't help children. So you can't assume that Ephesians 6, 4 is a Sunday-only practice. But we also can't assume that it doesn't apply Monday through Saturday. The, the other end of that, so there are families who they have no discipline during the week, but then they, and then they try to get their kids in line on Sundays, and that won't work. But there are also families who maybe do a, a decent job, and they do discipline, and they do instruct, and they are careful during the week. But then they come into church, and they think, oh, I can't spank my kid in church. That's unholy. Right? That, that's, people are going to judge me. They're not going to like that. They're, they're going to be distracted by that. Like, so I, I'll make sure to be good at discipline Monday through Saturday, but church is not for disciplining my kids. But this applies during the week as well. Right? Right? This applies during the week as well. That means you need to feel, it's okay. Let me just tell you, it's okay to get mad at your kids on Sunday. It's okay. It's okay to discipline your kids at church. That's okay. As a matter of fact, that's one of the best places to do it. You know why? Because you now have a family, a community here to reinforce you. To get your back. To help you. You have families who will come in alongside of you and affirm your authority, affirm the wisdom of your decisions. This is the best place to do it. By the way, that this is an important principle for us. This is actually, it's very difficult for us as Christians to come alongside and support families in discipline. Because it is awkward. Like I go to a friend's house and their kids are doing, they start yelling at their kids. Like, what do I do? I just sit there and watch? Like it's awkward. And we feel awkward and so sometimes we try to break the tension and we try to make the child feel better. That's not your job. If mom and dad are disciplining a child, it is not your job to make them feel better. What you are actually doing in that moment is you are contradicting the authority of the parent and you are confusing that child. So a child maybe is running around in the pews and mom and dad are telling, no, you need to sit down, you need to be quiet. And then what happens is the people behind play games with them. And obviously we don't do that with, like, evil motives. We're, we're trying to be nice and sweet, and all of our kids are so cute. It's crazy how handsome and cute all of the kids in Redeemer are. But what are you actually doing without even thinking it? You're telling this kid, don't listen to your parents. Play with me. We need to come alongside our parents, and we support you in your discipline. So we need to understand that discipline is something that happens Sunday through Saturday it can happen in church, it can happen out of church you need to have consistency Robbie Castleman put it this way, young people find great security in having rules that never budge young people find great security in having rules that never budge but let me also say this is not a sermon on spanking or yelling at your kids because there's something else in verse 4 what is it? Instruction Sunday is supplementary instruction for your children. Sunday is a day where your pastor really, really helps you teach and the church helps you teach. But instruction belongs to fathers. Instruction belongs to families. And so this is why I would say the same thing about instruction. Please do not think that Sunday is the only day your child needs to learn about the things of the Lord. This is why we as pastors have regularly encouraged things like family devotions. As a family, getting together and having at least one time a day without phones, without you come in and you worship the Lord together, Fathers can lead their families in prayer in singing a song and giving a short Bible lesson, maybe asking their kids some questions. There are curriculums you can buy, but we encourage you, instruction is not for Sunday. Instruction is Sunday through Saturday. We learned this principle way back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." We want to be families that are regularly having spiritual conversations with our children, teaching our children, walking through scripture in prayer with our children. In other words, what I'm saying is they need to learn how to worship corporately, but they also need to learn how to worship privately. Before we send our kids off to go get married and to have families, we need to teach them, what does it look like to be a dad? What does it look like to be a Christian mom? What does it look like to be a worshiper in the house of the Lord? We teach them these things all their lives so that when we send them off, they know exactly what to do. It's been modeled their whole life. Ephesians 6, 4, we need to have firm but gentle discipline consistently and instruction consistently both in church and outside of church. So you see how much you miss in Ephesians 6, if you just focus on, hey, look, the kids are supposed to be in church. You miss a lot. Same thing happens probably in an even more important text. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at three verses today. A lot of ink has been spilled over these three verses. Primarily as it pertains to Baptism. And as many of you know, we have half of this church who are wrong about baptism, but I'm not going to go into that issue. That was supposed to be a joke. It's trying to lighten the mood. I'm not going to talk about baptism, but there are some other important things to say in this text, absolutely. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him, that is Jesus, that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, as I said, there's a lot we could talk about here. There's a huge debate into the is How young are these kids coming? There are people who say, well, they're being rebuked. The kids are being rebuked, so they have to be old. They have to be able to hear commands and obey. But in Mark's version of this, it talks about Jesus holding them in his hands, so they seem to maybe be like infants. Uh, the word children here in, in this passage is used of infants, but it's also used of 12-year-olds in Scripture. So we don't really know, but I, I would say it doesn't really matter. The point is, is whether they're infants or they're like 8, 9, 10, a group of children, young children, are brought to Jesus. And we just picked up in verse 13, but Jesus has been sitting, teaching these people the deep things of God, speaking in parables. In the beginning of 19, he started entering into conversations about divorce. And we all know how complicated and emotional and deep questions of divorce and marriage, remarriage are. We still debate those things in the Christian church today. We still don't have unity on those issues today. So Jesus is in the middle of giving deep, intellectual, moral, spiritual teachings about marriage and about divorce, and then here come these parents with their kids. They're loud, burdensome kids. And it was common in the first century for religious leaders or men who in high places to bless children, to put their hands on them, to bless them, maybe for a healing or just for God's blessing. And so in the middle of Jesus' deep theological sermons, some parents bring their noisy kids along, And the disciples do what so many people's first inclination is to do. Send those kids to their classroom. This is too deep for them. Jesus does not need to be bothered with children right now. We're trying to talk about the things of the Lord, for goodness sake. Jesus is trying to talk to the adults. Can someone get these kids out of here? That's their mentality. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes the rebukers. Jesus tells them, do not hinder. Let the children come to me. The famous, most people memorize this in the King James. Suffer not the children to come to me. Jesus says, I want them here. Don't exclude them. Don't kick them out. I want them here. And they bring them to the front and he lays his hands on them and he tells them, these people, these kids have just as much right to the kingdom of God as you do. The kingdom of God belongs to them, not just to you. So I would turn to this text and I would show people, do you see that Jesus is not threatened by our children? He's not burdened by our children. He wants the children there. And that is true. I think that's a valid application of this. We don't need to kick our kids out of church. Don't hinder them. Bring them to Jesus. But here's the problem that that I, I realized as I was reading through the book. The problem is not that the kids were in proximity to Jesus. That's not what bothered disciples. The disciples were bothered that they, that they were participating with Jesus. The disciples did not ask the children to leave the crowd. They just asked them to not come to Jesus. They are not being rebuked here for sending the kids to kids' classrooms. They're being rebuked here for not letting the kids worship Jesus. That's what they're being rebuked for. And so here's why that's relevant to me because here's what I realized our children being in the crowd as Jesus talks is not enough. That's not enough. I don't just want them in the crowd, I don't just want them in proximity. I want them to come to Christ. I want them to be blessed by His Word. I want them to be blessed and to worship Him, to participate in worship. And here's what I realized. It is possible to bring our children in this room but still hinder them from coming to Christ. Because that's what happened in this text. The children were brought near but they were hindered from coming to Christ. So in other words, I want you to think about it this way. I want us to think of Sunday morning worship by analogy is the people of God going to their king. The people of God are gathering and we're coming at the feet of Jesus. We're coming to Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, I want to hear from your word. Jesus, I want to worship you. Jesus, in the benediction, would you please bless us before we go? Worship is us coming to Jesus. We're coming to the feet of Jesus every single Sunday, spiritually and by faith. And here's what I realized. We can bring our children in the room, but still hinder them from coming to Christ. And we hinder them from coming to Christ by bringing them in the room, but not expecting them to worship. If our children are in the same room as us, but they're playing with toys, we've hindered them from coming to Christ. Christ. If our children are in the same room as us, but they're in the back playing with their friends, we've hindered them from coming to Christ. If they're playing a video game, we've hindered them from coming to Christ. You see, the disciples in Matthew 19 had no problem with the kids sitting on the ground and playing a video game. The problem was that they were coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't want them on the ground playing a video game. I want, bring them to me. Bring me the kids. Let me bless them. Let them hear my words. Let them receive my blessing. We don't want our children in the room. We want our children to worship. Here's my other hot take. This is how I put it. And, and here's why I phrased it this way, just so people are very clear. I don't believe that I have just done a poor job at communicating this. I believe that popular reform teachers on the internet have done a really poor job at communicating this. They have bragged about how noisy and disobedient their kids are to shove it to society. But here's the hot take I want to say for every church, not not ours specifically, every church. You do not get to brag about pulling your kids out of nursery and into the service if all you've actually done is just bring the nursery into the service. I don't get to go to church on the move and brag. (laughs) You guys send your kids off to classes to eat marshmallows and play games? My kids come into the church to eat marshmallows and play games. The goal is not to bring the nursery into the church. The goal is to bring our children to Jesus. Our expectations when our kids are here is that they're going to worship Christ with us that they're going to come to Christ with us. Not just, they're not just going to be here for the sake of being here. They're not just going to be here because there's a small crowd today and Colin needs his ego boost, so we need to fill the seats. We want them to worship with us. We want to teach them how to worship. And by the way, notice what Jesus says at the end of this. What does he say? in verse 14 but Jesus said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven you want to know why he said that because he's not just here saying that physical literal kids belong in the kingdom of heaven although he is saying that when he says such belongs the kingdom of heaven he is reminding them that our children serve as an analogy for us that he just got done teaching look one chapter over in Matthew chapter 18 verse 1 So what is Jesus saying in Matthew 19? He's saying, don't let your kids, don't hinder your kids from coming to me because I need you to be children who come to me. If children can't come to Christ, then you can't come to Christ because you need to be like these kids. So here's the application for that. We need to understand, we don't just bring children into our church for their good. We bring them into our church for our good. They are our models. They are our analogy. You want to enter the kingdom of Christ? Be like a child they teach us how to be Christians just like we teach them how to be Christians they bless us let me tell you a story I can't exactly remember what the date was three or four weeks ago I don't even remember the song we were singing I don't remember what I preached that Sunday I remember nothing from this church that's this one particular Sunday where I have this memory in my brain that never goes away I don't know anything else about church except for this one thing I was sitting on that piano playing and crowded in this front row right here were Gabe and Juvius children's children, the Boggs children, the Henson kids. And we were singing a song and I couldn't hear you guys. And I couldn't hear myself because they were singing so loud. I could barely keep it together back there. That moment of watching our children show more passion In love for the Lord than even me, it moved me, it blessed me, it encouraged me. It's still in my head. I don't remember anything any of you said that day. (laughs) But I remember our kids. They're here for us and we're here for them. They bless us. I cannot tell you how blessed I am when I look out and I see the Boggs kids and I see all of these kids watching and paying attention. It encourages me, it blesses me, it should encourage you and bless you. Think of the beauty of a stranger walking into our room and seeing people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, of every age group worshiping the Lord. That's heaven. Our children come in here because we're trying to show people what does the kingdom of God look like? And the kingdom of God means it doesn't matter how tall you are, doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, what your accent is, or how old you are. All people come to God by faith in Christ. That includes my kids. It's a blessing to us. It's a blessing to visitors. The kingdom of God belongs to our children. Castleman puts it this way we need children in our churches they can remind us vividly of what it means to be great believers humble believers so let me start wrapping this up here's the question okay we want our kids in church but we want them to obey us we want our kids in church but we want them to participate we want them to worship we want them to worship with us so why do we have a nursery at all Wasn't that kind of a way? We just did all of this reconstruction project. I could have just gotten a real big office. We could have used that space for something better. Why do we have a nursery at all then? Well, because here's why. Now that we've begun to establish the why, it's going to continue to help us with the how. So here's why we have a nursery. Because there are many times when it is appropriate for you to utilize the nursery. Here's one of the ways, and this might sound controversial, it might even sound like it's contradictory, but I promise you it's not. You should utilize the nursery if your children are not capable of learning how to worship. If the end goal here is to teach them how to worship, and they can't do that yet, then why have them here? You can, but you don't have to. If you believe your child is at an age where they are not capable of having expectations to come in here and to listen and obey their parents and to participate in the worship, then they don't need to be in here. So here's what that means. Because I'm so afraid that we have signaled so strongly, family, family, children, children, that we might have people in this church who feel bad if they put their kids in the nursery. You feel like you're doing something wrong, like you're being judged by us. And let me affirm to you that's not the case. We do encourage family worship, but we recognize there's an end goal to this, there's a purpose to this, and if your children can only be distracting, then go ahead, use the, use the nursery. We're not here to judge you for that. So you might ask the question, okay, well, how old do, do my kids, how old are they? Well, our job not, is not to come in here and, and set a hard boundary on that. We trust you to make that decision. Castleman, in her book, she gives, I think, a helpful place to start if you just need somewhere to start. She recommends zero to three is a great nursery age. And then she says, three to four, it probably depends on the kid. And then she says, at four years old, that child needs to be in church, obeying their parents, listening to their parents, worshiping the Lord Jesus. I think that's a good relative thing to go off of. Not a strict rule, but zero to three, if you, don't want, your, if you want your child in nursery, that's fine. I would just encourage you, though, you know your kids better than Robbie Castleman knows your kids. So what you're looking for is, are my, are my children at an age where they're capable of obeying my voice? Are my children at an age where they are capable of singing the music or following along, even if it's just partial, reading along? If they're even remotely able to participate, then I think they should be in here. But if they're not at that age, you don't need to feel guilt. Like you're less of a Christian, you're not holy for utilizing the nursery. Why? Because now that we have a why, if it doesn't fit the why, you don't need to feel guilty. So the nursery is a great tool for your children if you don't think they're ready to learn and model worship. It's a great tool, so feel no guilt. The, nursing, the nursery can also be used as a discipline room. If, you, if your child is out of control and you need to go and set them straight, have a talk with them, or spank them, I would encourage you not to do that in the worship center. I would encourage you not to just bend them over your knee right here or to start yelling at them here. Remove yourself. Go to the nursery. That's a great place to have a talk with your children or to spank your children if you need to. And by the way, it, sometimes it gets busy in there or loud. You can use my office. You can use the bathroom. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. You don't even have to use the nursery. My office is always available for any of that kind of stuff. Just go in there. The nursery is a great place for diaper changes, for crying children, for nursing mothers. Again, so is my office. So we see our nursery is a good thing. It's a blessing. And we don't want you to feel badly for utilizing it no matter what the reason is. We're not judging you because it has a purpose. And that's why I need to do this. We have church, I know, based on what I know about people in church, uh, they're going to be very uncomfortable with me doing this. And normally I don't. But I just need to say, I won't maybe say names. But I just cannot tell our nursery volunteers enough how grateful we are for you. We are so thankful that we have women in this church who give up one Sunday a month where they don't get to worship with their family. They don't get to worship with their, the people of God so that they can babysit and serve and bless their other children. We are grateful. We have, I believe, six women, roughly. And let me just say, we are thankful for you. I know it's, the work goes overlooked. I know you don't get complimented very often. It is a blessing. Thank you. We are so grateful for that. And I would even encourage you, Autumn is the go-between, between the nursery, our children's ministries, and myself. It's very easy, and this is another shortcoming of my leadership, it's very easy for me for the nursery to be out of sight, out of mind, to not think about it, to not seek to help it. If you feel like there are ways that the elders of this church can better support you and better help you, you need to be comfortable communicating that to Autumn. I won't be offended. I will probably agree with you. We want to be here to support you and to help you as you make the sacrifice to watch children. We are grateful for you. And I want to thank you from the pulpit, from the bottom of my heart. Now, this does not mean if you have a child that's three or younger you have to use the nursery this is not a rule I just want to give you the freedom to use it you can still bring children in here for any reason maybe it's just too full you don't want to overwhelm the volunteer maybe your child is just so young you just need to be with it whatever the reason is feel free to have your children in church no matter their age but if you do that let me just remind you of a principle that Elder Jesse brought up in his family sermon series in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 where we're told to submit to one another And Elder Jesse did a great job, let me reiterate it right now, of reminding all of you who don't have young children that you have an obligation to submit and to serve the people who do. To be gracious and patient with them as they learn to parent their kids from the pews. And I think our church has done a great job at that. I want to encourage you to continue to do that, to continue to exercise patience and love for parents as they parent from the pew. But I want us to remember that submitting to one another is a two-way street, right? It's not just, it's not, I don't just come in here with Matthew and say, okay, he's going to cry, he's going to be noisy, he's going to be fussy, and it's everybody else's job to submit to me. They better submit to me and Layla. It's a two-way street. So if you're going to bring your children who are three or younger, four or younger, that's totally fine. I love that. I embrace that. I love seeing the babies. But I want to encourage you to think about how is my child affecting the worship of those around me? Is my child being a hindrance to the worshipers around me? And if they are, to take action on that, to make the sacrifice—it's—it's a it's frustrating. I know. I, I just—I hope Layla doesn't remind me saying this. I, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't ask your permission to say this, but we were leaving. We were walking out the door this morning, and I asked Layla, "Where's your Bible? You don't bring your Bible to church anymore." She said, "Well, I kind of stopped because I have to leave so often with Matthew. I just don't see the point anymore." Now she—she she told me, "I, I don't want to do that anymore." She said she'd bring her Bible. I'm not saying it to embarrass her, but I, that was a quick glimpse of how often I forget what a sacrifice it is to submit to everybody else when you have noisy kids. It's very difficult. And so I'm thanking you for applying Ephesians 5:21 and making that sacrifice, submitting to those around you, and, and really thinking, how are my children affecting my fellow worshipers? How can I serve them? How can I submit them? Submit to them in this time? We're all submitting to one another. So please, use the nursery, don't feel guilty, you're not less of a Christian, you're not less holy, you're not less sanctified, none of that is true. Please, if you feel you need it, use it. And if you don't feel you need it, if you don't use it, come in here and think, how am I affecting those around me, and am I leading my child in worship? Is my child worshiping the Lord? And let me also say one more thing, this is really important, really important. Let me take a drink. I want us to see that this approach is a children centered perspective. This approach is a child centered perspective. What do I mean by that? I do not want you to think that I am preaching this sermon because I'm tired of noisy kids. The point of the sermon is not to say our kids are getting kind of noisy, let's take care of that. That's a me-centered sermon. That's a me-centered approach. This is a child-centered approach. We do this not because we're annoyed, although in the principle of submitting to one another, that's actually a a somewhat decent reason. But I'm not preaching this because I'm annoyed by your kids. I'm not preaching this because we're bothered by your children. We preach this because we think that this is for their good. It's for them. This is a child-centered perspective. Here's why I say that. There was a famous study from Lifeway done in 2019. This study is extremely popular. Why? Because it came out. Now, some of the details in every study, you know, whenever you do big studies, there's always complicated details, and we have to summarize it as best we can. So there's is, there is some qualifications to this. But generally speaking, the, in 2019, which is not that long ago, The study determined that 66% of evangelical Christians who regularly attend church in high school stop going to church in college. 66% of our kids will not be Christians in 10 years. Last week, when we were looking at all of those kids playing, I, I think I counted roughly 15 Maybe there was more, maybe more, maybe less. If these statistics are true of us, the next time you see the kids playing, I want you to count roughly 10 and 12 kids and think those kids will not be Christians in 10 years. How terrifying is that? We have an obligation to try to do something about this. So so don't hear me saying it's an easy fix. I believe that this is a complicated societal issue. I do not believe, hey, our four-year-olds and our five-year-olds are in church with us, problem solved, no apostasy can have ever happen to these kids. This is not an easy fix. It's not an easy solution. It's not even something that's entirely in our control. But we still cannot forget the promises of Scripture, like Proverbs 22:6. 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There is, there is a promise we're trying to achieve here. Train them up early so that they won't leave when they're old. Proverbs 22, 6 is the exact opposite of the LifeWay study. Kids are growing up, getting old, and then they're leaving. They're walking away. And Proverbs is telling us, we have an obligation to train them up now. We are training them, raising them, training them so that they won't. And by the way, the, the, the somewhat good news is of the 66%, that left, a portion do come back. It only looks at the college, so a portion of them come back in college, or after college. But it's extremely small. I can't remember. I, I should have written it down. I didn't. I think it was something like twenty percent. So basically, half of our children in the evangelical world go to college and never will be Christians ever again. Half of our kids. I do not believe there is an easy fix. I do not believe there is a one size fits all solution. But I cannot help but think the way we have been training our kids to view church, to participate in church, has contributed to why they go off to college and think, you know what, I don't really need it. You know why? Because for most of those kids, they were never even in it. They were in youth group, they were in their classrooms. We want our kids to experience the blessing and the necessity of going to church from such an early age that it becomes their normal, it becomes their expectation. Castleman puts it this way, if children are trained to participate at a young age, their sense of belonging and paying attention is more natural. We want to, to take a phrase that became really popular during the COVID hysteria. We want to create a new normal for our kids. We want to establish what church life looks like so consistently and regularly and normally that when they leave us to go off to college or they go off to their job or something, it's a second nature to them to see all their other friends not going to church or to see all their other friends watching a sermon online. But their response is, I don't know what that is, but it ain't church. Because I've been doing church my whole life. Correction, I've been worshiping the Lord with the people of God my whole life. And I need it. I need them to bless me, to encourage me, to teach me. And I need to bless them, to encourage them, to teach them. We want them to be part of this family. We want them to feel like they are part of this family. And to feel integrated and loved and part of the community. So that when they leave, they immediately think, I need a community. Where's my community? And so in conclusion, let me go back. Give me a church with noisy kids over an empty pew filled with silence. I agree with that. If those are my only two options, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I say this. How about instead, give me a church with kids singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Give me a church with kids who confess their sins with me. Give me a church with kids who tithe and who serve the body of Christ. Give me a church of kids who are taking notes and listening to the sermon with their parents. Give me a church of kids who are getting baptized, who are believing in Jesus, and who are eating at the communion table with me. I don't want noisy kids. I want worshiping kids. I don't want a church with noisy children. I want a church with worshiping children. And I know this doesn't happen overnight. If you know how to make it happen overnight, please let me know. Matthew's still very young. I could use that advice. So That's why I still like, I get it. Kids are going to come in and they're going to be noisy. We can't stop kids premeditatively from being noisy. But we can do a whole lot more than just accept, I want noisy kids. Do we want worshiping kids? Do we want kids who love the Lord and sing His praises and listen to His word and as we stand and receive our benediction, they come to Christ and He holds them in His arms and He puts His hands on them and He blesses them? Or do we just want them to sit in the chair while we get blessed by Jesus? I want a church of children. I want a church of worshiping children. And it is our job as elders to lead and to teach. My job as a dad to pay an example of that, and it's all of our jobs to come together and to make sure we are training and showing our kids how to worship the Lord Jesus Christ.